everybody. My name is uh, Martin Heavyhead, and I'll be the moderator today. I'd like to welcome everybody here at SACPA. Uh, we're going to start at, uh, well, 12 o'clock 12 to 12.30, have a half-hour presentation, and then lunch, where you all could uh, speak amongst yourselves. And uh, then we'll have a question and answer period starting at 1. And uh, as a reminder, it is a question and answer period and not a personal statement period. So keep that in mind. Uh, today's speaker is uh, Muhammad Abushaban. Uh, today's topic is civil war, bloodshed, and refugees. What did happen in Syria and why did it go horribly wrong? Um, Muhammad is a Palestinian Canadian who immigrated to Ottawa to pursue higher education and opportunity. He's a computer science graduate with many years of global experience in the information technology and telecommunications field, most recently having founded his own company in the United Arab Emirates before deciding to return to Canada in 2015. Through personal experience, Mr. Abushiban is intimately aware with life under occupation and war, as well as the refugee and immigration experience from the Middle East region. It is three experiences experiences which have lent themselves to his heavy involvement with the current Syrian refugees and supporting and facilitating the entry of these soon-to-be Canadians into a new, bright, but sometimes challenging experience. Mr. Abushaban believes he is giving back to Canada a little, a little of all which it continues to give him and his family. Um, I also forgot that uh, lunch is $12, so please uh, pay in the basket and have somebody uh, collect it and there's also coffee tables for two dollars in the back uh, but um, I'd rather get to the presentation right away so if you'd all welcome Mr. Abushaban and we'll get started. Hello everyone. Um, today I have been given the opportunity and the pleasure of speaking to, to you about subject that is truly very close to my heart and to the heart of many. Today's discussion is one that is personal to a large group of people that have recently became residents of this beautiful country, Canada. Our topic today is about the Syrian conflict that is currently taking place, the resettlement of Syrians due to the conflict, and information about why, what, and why is happening happening. Syrians are Arabs, and the majority are Muslims. So let me give you some information about Muslims and Arabs. Muslims are those who follow the religion of Islam. Islam is a religion of peace and not a religion of violence. Muslims are taught to love and respect Muslims and non-Muslims alike. The world or the word Islam means peace and the greeting of Muslims is Assalamu Alaikum which means in, in English peace be upon all of you. 
So I'm going to say assalamu alaikum, peace be upon all of you, because I do, I am an Arab and I am a Muslim. I'm going to tell you a little bit more now about Arabs. It might be a little funny to start with, but intentionally it was meant this way. Arabs come in many colors and many shapes, and many sizes as well. We surely don't all look alike, and most definitely do not sound alike either. We are known for our outstanding hospitality, good looks, and impeccable taste of food. <laughs> we are extremely loud, very opinionated, might seem a little aggressive, but we have the biggest hearts. Your troubles become ours. Your troubles become our troubles if we find out about them and our conflict might possibly end in a couple of black eyes and broken bones. You probably did not know that Arabs have their own time zone. You can say a world of their own. All Arabs follow AST time zone. It is short for Arab Standard Time. That is why Arabs are always fashionably late. <laughs> if you want me to come at 8, make sure you tell me to be there at 9, to be there at 7. For example, I was told to be here at noon, and that's why I am on time today. Actually, I was told to be here at 11. So, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thousands of years ago, our civilization was born. Our ancestors were some of the most famous poets, scientists, doctors, philosophers in the world. The Arab civilization touches parts of your life that you might, that you might not be aware of. How about algebra? An English word with Arabic origin, algebr. Same goes for Almanac, cornea, alcohol, although we don't drink it. Admiral, adobe, meaning a brick in Arabic. Alchemy, which is chemistry, algorithm. Apricot, arsenal. Assassin, coffee, cotton, gazelle, lemon, loofah, magazine, mummy, and the list goes on and on. As a matter of fact, a vast part of mathematics was developed in Iraq, Egypt, and all over the Arabian Peninsula. There are so many more examples I can give you of people who come from the Arab world that have left their mark on scientists, on science across the globe. Unfortunately, our part of the world is portrayed as violent, oppressed. This does not mean that this is actually the case. We are knowledgeable, ambitious, and a very ambitious group of people. Do not judge a book by its cover, and don't believe everything you see on TV, I sounds like Trump right now. But. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, the Arab world, the Arab world, 
was one world. It was one world at one point of time. Now, however, it is made of many small entities with a governing authority that is made of one person, i.e. a one-man show. This was not the case in the past. What is now known as Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar, UAE, Oman, and Yemen, all were called Shib al-Jazeera al-Arabiya. In English, that means the Arabian Peninsula. One entire area replaced seven countries. One entire area was divided into seven countries, that is. What was known as Bilad al-Sham, or Levan in English, now known as Jordan, Lebanon, Syria, and Israel slash Palestine. In modern days, Iraq is becoming Kurdistan and Iraq, north of Iraq, south of Iraq. Sudan is now known as the north of Sudan and the south of Sudan. Libya is in the process of being divided. And so are Morocco, Egypt, and the rest of what is so called nowadays the Middle East. Ladies and gentlemen, the new world order is that of dividing nations to weaken them. It is that of placing the wrong person, the wrong people for the wrong job. It is that of empowering the strong against the weak. It is that of making the rich richer and the poor poorer. It is that of eliminating the middle class. It is that to keep nations of newly created countries busy with internal issues. It is, it is, it is, it is creating disagreements between leaders so that they fight. Think about it. Who would use the weapons otherwise? It is that of total dependence on banks. It is that of being fully in debt to the day you die. Ladies and gentlemen, dividing the areas in the Middle East started in the late 1800s by the British and French together. And since the area is mainly Muslims, and Europe wanted to get rid of all Jewish at the time, the perfect plan then to be the creation of the State of Israel in 1948. Originally started as a little area here and there, but eventually took over the whole area of what was then called Palestine.
Corruption increased and so did poverty among all Arabs until that day when a brave sidewalk salesman set himself on fire as he could no longer sustain the pressure of living in Tunisia. Almost immediately after that, Egyptians started their own uprise, followed by Libyans and then Syrians. And this is what is known as the Arab Springs. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot speak about the Arab Spring without first understanding the history of conflicts that took place in that region. And I want to list a number of things. And please keep them in mind, because we probably going to discuss them in our discussions. We're going to talk about it in the discussions and the question time. Things to keep in mind. The Sykes-Picot Treaty in 1916. The Belfort Declaration in 1917. The creation of the State of Israel in 1948. The Arab War of 1967. The 6th of October 1973 war. The Camp David Accord in 1978. The war in Lebanon in 1981. The Iran-Iraq war in 1980 and that specific timeline the Iran-Iraq war in 1980 I think has a lot to do with what's happening nowadays in Syria I'm going to continue my list um, the desert storm or probably some people know it as the Gulf War that took place in 1990 the invasion of Iraq in 2003, followed by the execution of Saddam Hussein, who was the leader of Iraq at that time, in 2006. Again, that is a milestone. I believe also instability started on that day as well. The start of the Arab Spring in December of 2010. And the longest lasting conflict of the Arab Spring, the war in Syria in 2011. Briefly, I'm going to talk about each of them and I'm going to leave the rest, hopefully, when you ask the questions. If I want to talk about one of them on its own, I need days to finish it. So I'm just simply going to touch and I'm going to show you the headlines of each of them. The Sykes-Picot Treaty, which happened in 1916, that was basically dividing the inheritance that British, French, maybe Russians, and others, dividing the inheritance they inherited from 
the Ottoman Empire, Empire among all of them. In, in plain English, it's basically, okay, you will control this part of the, this area, I will control this area, but this area is one big area, no problem. Let's divide it. Let's make three countries out of it. So I can take two and you can take one. Sykes-Pico is basically, Sykes is the English guy, Pico is the French guy. They sat together and they drafted this treaty to divide the areas into sections, into places where each of them can control a specific one, it, a specific one assigned to them. This is an agreement, Sykes Pico, and I'm quoting here. This is an agreement that was drafted between the British and the French to determine each country's share of inheritance of the Ottoman Empire. The agreement divided the map of one of the most volatile region in the world into states that cut through ethnic and religious communities. The Middle East continues to bear consequences of the treaty and many Arabs across the region continue to blame the subsequent violence in the Middle East from the occupation of Palestine to the rise of the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, which is known as ISIS, on Sykes-Pico. People still blame Sykes-Pico for lots of things that's happening nowadays. The Bill for Declaration in 1917, in simple word, it's the British promising the Jewish people back then we will give you, we will get rid of you, and we will give you a place called Palestine as a state for your people. That's basically it was. And I think it was a selection between a number of countries, and they selected Palestine as the one. The person who did it is Belfort, and it was named after him, Belfort Declaration. The creation of State of Israel in 1948, which was a a known result based on that agreement. The funny thing is that agreement was drafted in 1917 and the State of Israel was initiated in 1948. So lots of planning. It was created in 1948, the State of Israel. And it started small but quickly took over the whole historically known as Palestine area. Originally it was, we, you will take the southern part and this is what the British really wanted. They said, okay, you take part of Palestine and we will leave the rest to the others but eventually what happened is no we'll take the whole thing and they did um, and to continue the Arab War of 1967 which basically was uh, that war was initiated by the Egyptians Syrians um, others I don't know who those are but others against at that time was Israel um, and Israel capture the rest of Palestine on that war as well. Israel had the north of Palestine and after 1967 they took the rest of it, the south, uh, 
and by that I mean even Sinai, what's known now as Sinai, it was taken by the Israelis. Um, they also took over the Gaza Strip, which is a really hot topic nowadays. Uh, and it is a time bomb. It's like the biggest jail in the world. In 1967, they took over the Gaza Strip and the rest of the West Bank as well. I know I'm a Palestinian. I was born in the Gaza Strip. My mother is from Jerusalem. And when prior to 1967, if she wanted to go visit her mother in Jerusalem, she has she had to fly to Egypt, sorry, to drive to Egypt, and from Egypt she has to take a plane to Jordan, and from Jordan she drives to Jerusalem to see her mother. And we're talking back in, you know, 1965, 1966, when things are expensive, an airline ticket back then used to be really much, if it did exist. And it was really a tough journey for her to see her mom to the point where she didn't even attend when her mother died because she couldn't get there. Funny thing, up until today, we have the same problem. So, I mean, it's like nothing really changed. I can't go to Gaza, although I am a Canadian. I cannot go, why? Because um, it is called the, uh, I don't know, restricted area to travel. You wanna go, you go on your own, sign your life away here. So it does not work. When Israel took over the rest of Palestine in 1967, the good thing about that was my mother used to go to her mother or to her family driving because we used to drive from Gaza all the way to Jerusalem. It's like 80 kilometers. That's about it. But at that point, you know, she lost most of her family. Her mother died, her father died, nevertheless, but it was easier for us to go see our uncles. On October 6th of 1973, there was a war, and actually that war is called the 6th of October War. And apparently, Egyptians claimed victory, Israelis claimed victory, uh, Syrians claimed victory, everybody apparently won that war. I honestly do not know who won it, but they all won. If you talk to the Egyptians, they say they won the war. If you talk to the Israelis, they say, no, we won the war. So I still don't know. But what is obvious, though, is that Sinai, which was apparently taken back by the Egyptians in 1973, there was a peace treaty after that. It's called Camp David in 1978 that gave them Sinai. So I don't know how they captured it. And then they took it again in 1970. It didn't make any sense to me. So in 1978, there was an accord. It's called the Camp David Accord, which basically an agreement between Israel and Egypt to um, allow Egypt into Sinai. I've been to Sinai so I've been to Sinai so many times. I drove through it. I took my kids there. And in a journey to go to enter Gaza, hoping that I can. Uh, one time I was able to, many times I was not able to. But Sinai, if you go there, you know that it does not belong to Egypt as they claim it is. It is still, up until today, divided into three sections. And if you go to Google, Google Sinai, you'll find area A, area B, area C. This is Google we're talking about. And it tells you what area A is, what area B is, and what area C is. 
Um, of course, after that, I know I have very little time, but I'm really hoping that we can cover most of this in the, in the questions. The Iraq war happened in 1990, and, uh, and I'm going to quickly talk about that because I don't have much time. Uh, Iran-Iraq war, the reason why I say this is really a milestone because this is when the new player have been introduced to the, to the area which really impacted again the Syrian conflict that is currently happening right now. And I mean the Shiites. Iranians are all Shiites with a little minority of Sunnis. If you don't know what I'm talking about here, Muslims, they have Shia Muslims and then they have the Sunni Muslims. Um, Iran, Iran is leading that camp of the Shia Muslims while all the Arabs and all the Muslims are the Sunnis. Uh, and just a quick reminder here, Arabs are, they make about 15% of Muslims, by the way. I don't know if you know this. Most people say, they hear the word Muslims, they think that we're talking about Arabs, or they hear Arabs, they think we're talking they're totally different. There, there are more Muslims between Canada and the States than there are in most of the Arabic world. So Arabs are not truly all of them are Muslims. Uh, I'm going to quickly go over the Gulf War, which basically uh, punished Saddam Hussein for going off his path, which was drawn to him, to destroy um, Iranians. And it's funny when you say it this way, but we, they kept Iraq and Iran busy in a, in a war that lasted 10 years almost. And when that war ended, they found a new player, which used to be called Al-Mujahidun, which called Al-Mujahidun in that area to fight Russians. And when became friends with Russians, the states and Russians became friends, those Mujahiduns became Al-Qaeda. Uh, so it's like huge. Uh, and now we have, I'm, I'm jumping here a little bit because I'm running out of time, but if Al-Mujahidun became Al-Qaeda because we no longer need it, we need to destroy them, or I need a reason to go and destroy an area with people in it, how, how do I do that? I have to find an excuse to initiate a war. Let's create what is so-called Al-Qaeda. They are exactly the same people. Few days back on that, you know, whenever they were initiated, they were allies. They were supported by the Americans. Um, and, and the funny thing, uh, the leader of Al-Qaeda, who is Osama bin Laden, owns probably half of New York. I, I honestly do not understand what is going on. Um, and then now we have, so Mujahidun became Al-Qaeda. So where is ISIS in here? So we need a new player in the area to keep things busy so that I have a reason to go and do whatever I have to do. And that probably is ISIS, which I'm not even going to talk about it right now. Hopefully, we'll talk about it during the discussion or the questions and answer. Um, I'm going to quickly go through the, the headlines of what I'm talking about, the executions of Saddam Hussein. Uh, the reason why I say this was a milestone, because he started fighting uh, the division between Shia and Sunni. And I don't want you to fight this. I want things to remain the same. I want the conflict to remain. I don't want you to fix the problem. 
I am benefiting out of this problem. So don't go in and fix this problem. I want it to get even worse. I want Lebanon to have a war. Lebanon has also, not only Shiites and Sunnis, they have Shia, Sunnis, they have Christians, and Christians, I don't know how many, they have other Muslims. Have, so it's like a whole total mess, and all of Lebanon probably fits in this restaurant. It's really a small country. Well, a little bigger. Um, the Arab Spring that started in, in 2000, that started in 2010, uh, due to that one guy who simply set himself on fire in Tunisia, he, he truly did make a statement. Uh, he just had it. He set himself on fire, said, you know, I cannot bear what's going on. And sure thing, within, I think, two or three days, the prime minister or the minister or the dictator of that country immediately left and went to Saudi Arabia. So that's where he is now. Uh, same thing, Egypt, same kind of a movie, same scenario, same producer. Um, they took Hosni Mubarak off and uh, they said, okay, let's just keep the people busy thinking about, you know, what can go wrong. And sure, put him in jail, if he was in jail. Um, and then just take him out after a few more years. And they did. Now he's free. After being a killer, a dictator, and all the news channels about, oh, he did, he did. And now he's a free man, apparently. He did not do anything. And he's back into power, and his kids will take over. Uh, I'm going to quickly summarize this, or end this, and I hopefully will talk more about it when we have the discussion. The Arab world is full of resources. Uh, it is full of oil and natural gas. The West is in need of these resources. I mean, this is no secret. One way for the West to ensure the unlimited flow of gas and oil is to ensure chaos situation and a continuous chaos situation. One way to ensure that chaos will remain is by empowering some over others. The way I see it, the Middle East is being abused by a number of countries being Iran, Israel, and maybe the West. Iran is a key player behind the division between Muslims, Shiite, and Sunnah by promoting some over another while Israel is to ensure the instability is going by simply existing. Existence of Israel over there on its own will cause a problem to many. The majority of the world, the majority of the Middle East, are Muslims, and to have Israel in the heart of that area on its own is a problem. The West is fueling the hate between all parties so that they can easily play the card of I will save you if you let me have your resources. I just want you to imagine the following. Imagine if there was no Israel in that area. If there was no conflict between Shiites and Sunnis. If the Middle East is one big country. You know what? What if the whole Muslim is one big country? What do you think? We'll leave it at that.